All right, everybody, welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. I'm Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're your hosts. Hi, Clayton. Erin. What? We got a lot to talk about with this book. Oh, I'm so... Okay. All right. I'm very... I'm very interested to see what you are going to say. But before we do, we have to shout out our newest patron. Yes. So we have a new patron, Joanna Yu. Thank you so much for your patronage. And you joined at a good time because we just added a new bonus, audio podcast. (laughs) Just a podcast. I don't know. Like I'm so confused to... when you said audio. Like, what else do we do? We don't do videos. Audio bonus, I get. I don't know what I was thinking, but it's we did a, a review <laughs> of the 1996 Brendan Fraser Ricky Lake vehicle, Mister Mrs. Winterborn. Yes, it was a favorite movie of mine from the 90s, mostly because of Brendan Fraser and how hot and charming he is. And he plays like a stern man, starchy hero gets unstarched. It's a fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it and you're a romance fan, you have to see it. It's so good. And it's a movie I'd never seen. So I was a Mrs. Winterborn virgin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, join and listen to see what I thought. You Mm -hmm. already know how Aaron thinks, what Aaron thinks of it. But it's just the kind of stuff where we're going to be adding on there. Movies, TV shows, maybe a novella once in a while. Mm -hmm. And also, if we do get to 200 patrons, which when you suggested this, Clayton, I was like, that's really pie in the sky. Like, that will not happen. (laughs) But now it seems like we are, like, marching towards that being a possibility. But once we do, um, we will do one book a month that the patrons uh, suggest and then vote on. So you guys would be in control over one book a month. Finally, you can control us the way you've always wanted to. <laughs> I know we're we're going to end up reading A Court of Thorn and Roses. I know it. <laughs> we'll, it we'll make it happen. Um, all right. So this week, by popular demand, we read Blue-Eyed Devil, which is the second book in the Travis's series. We read Sugar Daddy last. Uh, and we were like, we got it. We're not getting off the Travis train. We're sticking in Houston and we're staying with these people. Um, so to start, let's judge these covers. There's two covers. Yeah, the 2008 hardcover is big letters, Lisa Claypass, Mm -hmm. big letters, Blue-Eyed Devil, and then just kind of a blue sky and a figure walking on a road. Uh, Just with a well-fitting pair of jeans and no shirt, I don't think. And that has got to be... Hardy. Yeah, I love that cover. I think that's a gorgeous cover. I, you know what? I'm the same. I I just feel like, and I said this, I think, with the last one, is like the last book, Sugar Daddy, it just doesn't feel like romance to me Mm -hmm. at all. And I I don't hate the cover. I don't think it's an ugly cover. It just doesn't invoke what I want from a romance cover. Yeah. Well, and I will say, I do think Sugar Daddy was basically like women's fiction with a strong mm-hmm. romantic element. Like I, it wasn't a romance to me. It wasn't a romance. It didn't follow like the 
one of the two basic tenants. But I would say this read more like a traditional romance. Like, I don't think there's ambiguity about this one being a romance, in my mind, at least. No, um, not at all. This, you're yeah. correct. This is more of your structurally a very romance type of plotting. Yeah. And then the other cover is a woman with black hair, wearing a straw hat and a white dress, walking in a field. And it says blue eyed devil at the bottom. It's fine. I don't love it. It's fine. Yeah, this is this is the 2015 mass market paperback. And mm-hmm. it has it's the similar motif to the sugar daddy cover with the young lady on the swing that we both dislike. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't like this motif. I just don't like yeah. the look of it. I just it's not it's not my favorite. You know what this reminds me of? You know, whenever there's a movie and normally it's like an action movie and the big thing that is driving the hero is a dead wife. And then we get mm. the dead wife in flashbacks and she's just behaving like psychotically, not like a yes. woman in the real world. act. Like this is a dead wife cover in that. This is just some hero as he's about to, we think he's about to die and he's having flashes to his wife just walking in a field in a beautiful dress. You know? You nailed that so hard because I was trying to think <laughs> of what this was and why I didn't like this aesthetic, but you're so right. that It's always that scene. Yeah, walking through a field, has got a dopey hat on, has picked up a flower, is sniffing it, smiles, turns. And yeah. that's when, you know, he gets up off the ground and kills a bunch of people with guns or his bare hands. Exactly. There's about to be a, an insane amount of violence after this scene of the cover. It's this yeah. or she's in just bright, bright white sheets. Mm-hmm. And she just can't find her way out of these sheets. She is stuck. She's just pushing around laughing. You know, the way we do in the morning, ladies. Um, it's 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 so funny that it's you know it's so funny that you're saying that because one of my things with this book once we get into it is that level of violence that men perpetrate under the under the misunderstanding that their violence is better than someone else's violence yeah you know what i mean like, uh-huh. morally, my violence is better than your violence, so it's okay violence. Yeah. Well, okay, so let's jump into, Clayton, what was this book about? And then we can get into the discussion. So we have Haven, who is Gage's sister. Gage, of course, one of the Travises that we talked about last episode. And so she is at the wedding reception for Liberty and Gage. And she's she's dating Nick. She's engaged to this guy named Nick. And she goes down into the wine cellar, thinks she's making out with Nick. Turns out she's making out with Hardy, who was a guy that she had seen previously and was just immediately stunned by his looks. He's blue eyes, just not not handsome in a regular way, but just like rugged and, mm-hmm. and, and, and magnetic. And they have, and we'll get to this because we have to talk about this scene. One of the best, one of the best first, I guess, what would you call it? Because she's seen him before, but this is kind of their actual meet, meet cute. Yeah. And it was awesome. 
But we'll get to that. <laughs> then she she marries Nick. Her father says, if you marry Nick, Churchill Travis, a guy we met last last book, says, if you marry Nick, you're cut off. And Haven says, that's fine. And her and Nick move away. He becomes abusive to the point where he hits her. She she calls Gage. Gage comes and rescue, sends somebody to rescue her. And then Jack, who is another Travis that I don't think we had met previously, gives her a job, finds her a place to live, all these different things in Houston. And then Hardy comes back into her life. And then Nick also comes back into her life. So that's kind of just broad strokes. Mm-hmm. And so what did you think of it, Clayton? Okay. When I started reading this book, it was one of those times where you get, you're so, it's so vivid, that scene where she goes down to, uh, and she, she, she's in the, the, you know, the wine cellar or whatever, and thinks she's going to be making out with her fiance and instead makes out with Hardy. That is such an awesome scene. Such a great introduction to them as a couple. And then after that, we get 50 pages of Nick gaslighting and abusing her. Yeah. And then we get her getting a job later after she leaves Nick with Vanessa, who also uh, gaslights her. And it's just an awful jerk to her. And then we also get Jack being, being possessive. We get Gage being possessive of her, and then we get Hardy being possessive of her. My big issue with this book was that Haven had no personality. She was just a pawn for the men. Mm. And I understand she was abused, and I by no means want to discount what happened in this book. It was traumatic to her, and I understand why she would have an inability to trust, an inability to want to... I guess just basically trust anybody, but it made her character very hard to not, I don't want to say root for because I wanted her to, I wanted her to get away from abuse, but I also wanted to get away from the Travis family. Like what this made me think is that I don't like the Travises. (laughs) I don't like her father. I don't like Gage. And, And I didn't like Jack. What did and you then Liberty think? was yeah. kind of a non-entity. She was around, but she was looked at as just this beautiful person. And I was like, well, Liberty's a lot more than just this, this whatever, however Haven looks at her. Which, mm-hmm. that's the thing. If I would have read this book outside of, of the first book, I would have thought Liberty was a thin-ass character. And I thought Liberty was a really good character. Yeah. And I understand it's not her book, so I get it. Like, that's how it is because she's just a side character in Mm -hmm. someone else's book at this point. But I, it started so great with that scene, and I thought, this is going to be a classic. This is going to be a Lisa Kleypas classic. And then it kind of fell apart for me after that. I was kind of disappointed. Yeah. This is Lisa's favorite, apparent, somebody said in our comments that this is Lisa's favorite book that she has written, and Hardy is her favorite hero. 
uh, Hardy is not even close to my favorite hero. <laughs> what, what did you think? I loved this book. I we, I started this. I had been planning on reading this book like in between reading for the podcast. So then when it was picked for the podcast, I was like, okay, great. I read it really quickly. It was one of those books that I was reading like every spare moment I had. Like I was cooking dinner and I had five minutes. So I read the book for a little bit, like really tore through it. I felt differently about <clears throat> I. I felt differently about it where I think the way that Lisa creates families is really interesting because with the, with the Travises, they are a family that I think were it not for them all sharing blood, wouldn't speak to each other. <laughs> and you mm-hmm. don't see a lot of those kinds of families where it's kind of like, listen, we're in this, but you know, there isn't that level of warmth, like you said. I don't know if it's that it's just so many men and then Haven not getting along with her mother that then it just becomes really hard to sort of maintain a closeness. Because Haven is also not a overly... I don't mean this in a negative way. She's not an overly maternal person. She's not She's not a liberty. She's not like, let's bring people together and family. She's kind of like, I kind of want to do my own thing. I want to strike out. Because while her family wasn't abusive or anything like that, they didn't ever give her what she needed as a kid. And so I found that really interesting. I also found it really interesting because this whole book is in first person. Seeing liberty through Haven's eyes and feeling that this is a woman who came in and was what everyone in the family wanted. And I was mm-hmm. and and her feeling kind of replaced at a little bit of jealousy and how that would lead you to act out and that would lead you to marry a Nick to to end up with somebody who is obsessed with you, who has been love bombing, who's able to manipulate you. It all rang really really true to me. So I enjoy, like, I didn't enjoy the first part of the book because obviously there's a lot of exper- uh, uh, examples of abuse that happens and I don't <laughs> enjoy reading that. But for the story, I thought it was good. And then I really loved Hardy because he felt like an old school historical hero to me who was like plopped down in the modern world, that he came from this awful background, he had a bad dad. And then I think the way that he was able to like he was obsessed with Haven in a way that wasn't gross the way that Nick was and the way that he was able to sort of bring her out of her shell I don't know I really loved it I loved this book I thought that Lisa did a great job with those chapters with Nick Mm -hmm. because he wasn't painted as this obvious abuser this obvious maniac that you would read this and think, why would Haven ever be with this guy? Mm -hmm. It was very realistic the way he manipulated her, made her question herself, made her feel bad about herself, made her want to make this work when it was obvious that Nick was just a sniveling piece of shit Mm -hmm. but he has a good way of hiding it i mean we all have been around people like that right Mm -hmm. where she sees him next to hardy and says why did i even think nick was a real man this is crazy when i see them next to each other 
But when she was day to day with Nick, she just wanted to please him because he was one of the only guys who ever seemed to be interested in her. The thing that is, I think, interesting, and obviously I've never been the victim of of domestic abuse. And so I, I can't speak, of course, with any sort of knowledge here. But, you know, when we talk about romance as being fantasy, and a lot of times the thing that bumps me is, why would you want to read a book that has abuse in it? Because that's not part of the fantasy. But then I do think you you, you corrected me in a way where part of the fantasy is that you can get out of it and you can not only survive, but you can thrive after it. And that's an important part of fantasy as well in that it can give people actual power or at least show them that there's possibility that they can get out of the situation they're in. What frustrates me about the Travis family in general and the Travis books in general is that the way Haven got out of it was money. Mm -hmm. She got out of it because her family is rich and powerful. There's so many women in the world that have no ability to get out of their situations. They can't just have a random CEO of a company pick them up and take care of them because you know, their brother is this powerful master of the universe. I think that's the thing that bothers me about these these characters is that I'm so sick of that masters of the universe bullshit. The rich businessman. That that character I have no that's not attractive to me mm-hmm. in any way. And so you've got Jack, you've got Gage, you've got Churchill. They're all that throw money at it, give you an apartment, give you a job, do all these things. And it takes away any kind of autonomy that Haven has. I mean, this book is showing like you can't go off on your own. You need that money. You need that influence and you need that power, at least from somewhere. If it's not from your family, it has to be from someone else. And that might be me projecting or whatever, but that's how I felt about this book. And it left a bad taste in my mouth because I I don't think Hardy, I, I don't think Hardy was a redeemed character to me. Really? I kind of am having a hard time understanding why he's liked so much because at, like at the end, he does take a deal. He, ta- he takes the deal and then decides not to, but he initially takes a deal where he would have to not be with Haven anymore. Yeah I, yeah, I mean, you said a lot there. So I think, I mean, I agree. Obviously, most people who are in uh, in do- domestic violence situations are not able to just get a private jet to leave. I do think the part of it that is interesting is that domestic violence happens to all kinds of people. It happens to people who are highly educated and wealthy. Mm-hmm. And it happens to people who are not like there isn't a, an economic factor necessarily for domestic violence. As far as I know, obviously, like neither of us are experts, but my understanding is that, you know, it, it happens everywhere and it happens to all kinds of women. And, and there's not a type and men as well, obviously. I think that could be part of the fantasy, too. I, I mean, I agree having all these people, you know, sitting here in 2022, having all these people have all this money in oil um, you know, not to be political, but knowing what the climate crisis is, it's like, this is hard to stomach. <laughs> they aren't, 
you know, doing good things. This is they're kind of destroying land and and creating a lot of issues. Um, But I think also you do have to think of where we were in when was this book written? 2004? 2008. So, yeah, kind of where, where we were at that time as well as far as like as Americans, like our relationship to money, our relationship to like what that dream was in a way that I it isn't that anymore. People don't dream of being wealthy. Like, I mean, it's so it's more out of reach now, I think, for people than like it has been since the Gilded Age. So but it's uh, always been out of reach. I mean, and I think that's the illusion. It's but I think always there was, been out of reach. It was always out of reach. But I think culturally in the 90s and the early aughts, there was more. I think people were better off. And I think people felt that being that wealthy, there wasn't a moral aspect to it at the time. As far as like, whatever, I remember. It's just my memory. In a way that like you could have these heroes be these impossibly wealthy people and you know the myth of like the self-made which is like could hardy exist in real life like probably not but that was something that was part of a fantasy too and Mm -hmm. in a way that just now it just isn't we just are different culturally and we have a different view of wealth uh and a different understanding of the way that things are so I now, you know, I I mean, I don't know. Maybe there are still a ton of billionaire romances being written. I'm not reading them, <laughs> you know, which doesn't say much. I mean, I, but I think there is that aspect to the way that we viewed. I mean, 2008 was when the bubble burst. Obviously, she would have written this in 2007 um, with that kind of lens. But I, I don't disagree with you and that that's all a little bit distasteful, but I think that's all something that I just kind of chalk up to, you know, when the book was written and stuff. But I get it, you know. Well, the other thing, though, too, is that she Haven doesn't like to be touched after what happened with Nick. Uh-huh. And Jack is like, I don't care. You don't like to be touched. I want to hug you. That's not great. It's like. Fuck you, dude. Like so many men in her life, her family were were setting aside any sort of sympathy for what happened to her and how she was feeling just because they thought, oh, well, if it's a hug for me, it's different. It's different. Right. You need to calm the fuck down. And that pissed me off. Like Haven was just a she was just a ping pong ball between all these men's egos. And it annoyed me. I wanted her to be like. Fuck you, Jack. Fuck you, Dad. Fuck you, Gage. Fuck you, Hardy. Mm-hmm. Because Hardy was so busy telling her when and when she when she was ready to have sex and when she wasn't ready to have sex. It's like, fuck you, dude. Let her make a decision for her goddamn self. Yeah. When she says, I want to do this, and he says, no, 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 not now. Not You're not ready. He's just fucking with her head the way Nick was fucking with her head. She's just constantly being fucked with by all these people. And then Vanessa, too. Vanessa was just a straight up piece of shit. Yes. Yeah, I don't think there's any ambiguity about Vanessa being a bad person. But I do. Th- but also, sorry not to interrupt, but yeah. but 
the reason Vanessa might have been salty is because Haven was given this job with no prior uh, abilities or no. Uh-huh. I mean, she was just given this job by her family, which yes. would piss me off, too, if I was Vanessa. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it's all true. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, I think that I found just the relationship between her and her brothers and her father to be very interesting because, because kind of what you said, the way that they never let her have agency. And they also kind of just treated her a little bit like a joke because like Mm -hmm. she had left Texas. She went to Wellesley, I think, or anyway, she went to some school in Massachusetts um, and, or Connecticut. Wesley is in Massachusetts and Wesleyan is in Connecticut. I don't know. Okay. People are going to correct me. Anyway. So, and, and they treated her a little bit like a joke. Like she had the, this point of view that I think was separate from them and wasn't wrong either, but that was always treated as like, oh, can you believe Haven? She's being ridiculous. In a way where it's like, I don't know, she was like advocating for <laughs> like immigrants and things like that. It's like, oh, that seems like a fine thing to do. So I agree. And the, and I think those parts of when, Har- when Hardy was kind of like, yeah, not letting things go as far as she wanted. I mean, in the moment too, I mean, what she was saying to him was basically like, I know I'm going to scream and kick because this brings up like horrible memories for me, but I just need you to push through it. And like, mm-hmm. no, Harvey should, I, Hardy should not have done that. <laughs> that's a bad idea. Like that's what she thinks that she wants, but it isn't what she actually needs and would be so traumatic if, if Harvey, I keep on with Harvey, if Hardy had listened to her and done that, that would have been awful. So I do think there's an aspect of him being able to kind of into it, what she really wanted. And then with at the end, when she basically Churchill and his friend go to Harvey with a Hardy with a deal saying like, if you never see her again, we'll give you this land that you want. And he takes it, but almost immediately he changes his mind. But I think that was kind of like, you know, that's what he did with Liberty who he loved as, you know, was his kind of first love. He chose, commerce over her he chose um money over her and i think it's interesting that he he almost that he did it again basically but then immediately realized the error of his ways and changed i mean i thought that was interesting just from like a plot point of view that he would go back to her and he would have sort of changed and recognized that she was more important than that also like he said he didn't actually do it because he needed the land he did it because he thought it would force her hand and she would break up with him. So, I mean. He's just so manipulative. I'm just like. Yeah. Chill out, dude. And I know you had a bad. I mean, listen. He had a bad dad who's. He says. you know, There's a point where he's drinking in his apartment. Doesn't want to be bothered because he got a call from his mom that his dad's out of prison. And his dad is a serial rapist. He refers to his dad as a serial rapist. And he thinks, I got this. I've got, I'm from bad stock. I'm just a piece of shit. Listen, run away, Haven. Run away. Because even if it's not the case, which there's a lot of people who think, you know, these kind of things are not necessarily in your blood, but like psychologically 
energy-wise, if you're raised with that kind of energy, it's going to always be there. And it's like, she, like, I don't think that she should have anything to do with her family or with Hardy. Like, <laughs> if she's really as independent thinking as she claims to be, which I, I don't know. Let me know if you thought she was a fully formed personality, because I found no personality in her whatsoever, other than she disagreed with a few of the things her family uh, wanted, wanted to do or thought were correct. I just did not get a fully formed person from Haven. And so when she bounces around between all these egos, it was just annoying to me. I just I didn't find anything to really hold on to. I, I, I This was some this is a character I would want to see just being by herself in a different city away from all this bullshit and really making her own way and making her way own way is not becoming a bazillionaire. It's having a life where she can handle it, control it, and and be happy, or at least as happy as anybody can be. Yeah. What did you think of the elevator scene? So apparently Houston floods suddenly all the time. Again, we learned a lot about Houston in this, in this book. And so at one point, uh, Haven is at a meeting and then she goes to leave and the elevator, it turns out the, the floor she's going to in the elevator is flooded. So she, the, she's in an elevator and the water's rising and she can only call one person and she calls Hardy. And he somehow gets there. Like, is that the only elevator in the whole building? Uh, well, I think... I don't know if it's the only elevator in the whole building, but I think also they can probably see like which elevator is on the bottom floor. Yeah. Like I, uh, and he was a welder. Yeah. I liked trade. it fine. I mean, I was kind of <laughs> confused at first as to what was happening. Right. And it was pretty scary and disgusting. I mean, she dropped, you know, it, she's, it smells bad. She's slippery from oil. It's pretty gross. I mean, he goes in there and saves her. I thought it was fine, but the thing was, uh, that's that's having knowledge of of Houston. To me, it seemed crazy, like an elevator flooding is something so specific to that area. Which I, I think that's great that that's in this book because it seems realistic to them. But to me, it felt so nuts that an elevator <laughs> would flood like that. And I guess it's it seemed nuts to her too. She was like, I can't believe that I'm gonna drown in an elevator. This is so weird. Yeah. It was just like a freak accident, I think. Yeah. Which, it's, that's a nightmare scenario because you don't go into an elevator thinking you're going to get drowned in it. You go into an elevator thinking it's going to get stuck or it's going to plummet or something like that could happen. Right. So, I mean, it worked for the plot. He goes there. She, you know, she calls him first and he he goes there and saves her. He gives the, the uh, Mexicans that helped him a sloppy, wet couple of bucks, which how nice of Hardy to to open his wallet for for, for two guys who are just trying to get by. <laughs> and uh, here's some here's some sewage soaked dollar bills to take home to your family. Well, it's not hard. It's not like Hardy picked those out of also clean dollar bills. That was kind of like all he had. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's just I mean, you can tell I just don't. Yeah, just you just didn't vibe a, with it. I just don't vibe with it. I just don't yeah. vibe with it. And it's so weird, right? Because 
the difference between someone like Hardy and my beloved Derek Craven uh-huh. is not that much because Derek Craven, of course, born in born in a drain pipe, mm-hmm. claws his way up as a gigolo, mm-hmm. which Hardy never did. And then runs his gambling hell and knows everything about these rich fucks and takes all their money. I think that's the difference for me with someone like Derek is Derek disdains those people. Like Mm -hmm. he works with them and he knows their secrets and he'll gamble with them. But at the end of the day, his rooting interest is in the the lower class, right? Mm-hmm. Hardy is a guy who's like, I got rich, but I'm still white trash, and I'm going to do everything I can to run away from that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're just a poser. You're just a fucking poser. Oh, yeah, because anytime you have a hero that's straight up stealing money from wealthy people, that's a hero we can get behind. Yeah. And listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm, and I'm not even like a freaking socialist or anything. I'm not sitting here being like, Nobody should have any money. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think that I don't think I should have anybody's money that's not my own money. I'm not saying that. It's just something about these characters that annoyed me because they just don't they just don't seem to care about each other mm-hmm. in a genuine way. Mm-hmm. And that annoyed me. I need my romance to have genuine characters who care about each other. And I just did not get that here. I mean, Sugar Daddy, I I liked a lot, and it just felt, this felt like it made me dislike Gage more. It made me dislike Churchill more. And, you know, somebody like Liberty, who I really liked, just, you know, uh, like, Haven was not a well-drawn character in my mind. Yeah, I think it's hard, too. Like, I think first person is really hard because you don't see how other people view her. Because mm-hmm. even like with Liberty, you know, when you were in her own mind and then to hear Gage talk to someone else about Liberty where he was like, listen, everyone was in love with Liberty. You didn't get that in the book when it was her. Because I think Liberty wasn't really aware of that fact. And so yeah. that, I mean, I'm not a big fan of first person, especially when it's just one person the entire time. I think had this book had... Hardy's point of view I think it would have been I would have welcomed that but yeah I think that also it's like you don't think about yourself and your person I don't know you don't think about yourself in that way in the way that like would make it a more full full drawn character I mean I understand your criticism I don't agree with it all I do I mean I really liked Hardy I thought there were some really beautiful lines swoony lines in this book but, you know, to each their own. We don't often disagree like this in a book, so it is good. Yeah, and I, the, the uh, like, as much as I don't like Gage and I don't like Jack and I don't like Churchill, I, I am on their side when it comes to Hardy. I think that he is untrustworthy. Yeah. You know, because he uses people, and I, and again, yes, he made the decision to actually not take that deal after he'd already agreed to it. In a fit of whatever. But still, his his instinct was initially to fuck Haven over. 
It was really to fuck her over to force her hand. Yeah, and then he whatever. didn't. It's it's all a manipulation game with him. It's all a I'll move this card, and you. I don't know about cards. I was trying to do a card thing, but I don't know anything <laughs> about cards. But you know what I mean. It's like I'll do this thing to force you to do this thing. It's all business bullshit. It's like yeah. that's not what life is like. You can't manipulate people into doing what you want them to do or what you think is best for them. Mm-hmm. It's like every man in this book knew what was best for Haven. Yeah. They're no different than Nick. Nick is just a bastard, but they they were trying to control her just as much. I think that's true. Like, I think that that was intentional by Lisa. I don't think that that was like she doesn't know that that was happening. Oh, absolutely. I, mean, I think with Harvey, yeah. with Hardy, it's different. But like, yeah, the family is fucked up. And I don't think it's you're supposed to like view it as any different. It is interesting, too, to see like Churchill from Liberty's point of view, where he's like this generous benefactor comes out of nowhere and changes her life and her feelings towards him versus like somebody who grew up with him Yep, (laughs) and how she's like this fucking guy man I can't and just straight up doesn't talk to him for a while which I think is good the other thing too is like most of her family doesn't know the extent of Nick's abuse Mm -hmm. for a while like Jack doesn't know that I think Gage is the only one who really knows because she he is the one she calls in that moment yeah but it's like you could intuit that something went really wrong. You know what I mean? Like people yeah. don't leave marriages like that when everything is fine and they're just bored. They don't just leave in the middle of the night with no shoes on. Yeah, exactly. And sit on a bench in front of a grocery store for hours. Yeah. And, and, and I by no means want to say, listen, I I thought this was a well-written book. She, this is a She's a master. She's a master at storytelling. Just because I had an adverse reaction to this book, I don't want anybody to think, especially the queen herself, that I don't think that it was intentional what she was doing, right? Uh She knew what she was doing. She knew how these characters acted. She knew she was bouncing these characters off each other in a way that she wanted them to and I think worked for the story. I just don't think this is a story I wanted to read. Okay. And, And I might be being... Hard on Haven. Obviously, she went through a lot of abuse. It's hard to have an identity when you are treated that way. But even previous to that, I just wanted a glimmer of something from her, something unique, something different. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get that. And so it was hard for me to then track her personality because she was being bounced around by all these other people. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing, too, with, like, reading somebody like Lisa Claypass, like, reading a true, like, master is we're judging her against some of the best romances ever written, which she Mm -hmm. also wrote. So it's you dig harder and you examine more because you know that these books are up to it, where I think if we had read this and this was, like, kind of a first time author or something like that, we'd be like, feel differently, you know? I'm happy that the the section with Nick was not longer. I mean, considering the way that Liberty's book went, it's like it could have been like that. I don't think it would have been better for that. And I mm-hmm. do like that Liberty left only once. I was always really nervous whenever Nick would come back around that he would, that she would go back to him. Because that's common, you know? that That's, yeah. that's realistic. Uh, and she never did, which I was obviously very happy about. 
Well, then, because originally, so at the beginning, we were talking about, you know, the book cover and how that that book cover invoked the action hero thinking about his virginal Mm -hmm. before he met her wife. And those kind of things where it's like my violence is righteous violence. And that's another thing that bugged me about this book. And I know, listen, if somebody in my life was being abused, had been abused, I would be angry and I would want to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And I have no right to make any sort of judgment on somebody who reacts to a loved one being abused in whatever way that they do, because that's listen, that's life and that's how people react. But just the fact that every man, except for her her, uh, bisexual best friend. Oh, yeah. Todd was great. Love Todd. Todd was interesting. Uh, it's it, he. He's a trope I'm not a fan of, really. Uh-huh. But so everybody reacted in a way where it's like, I'm going to kill him Nick, about Nick. I'll kill him. There'll be nothing left but a match to put in a matchbox. I'll murder him. I'll shoot him in the head. And it's they make it about their propriety over her mm-hmm. and what this guy dared to do to my sister or the woman I love or whatever. And does she want violence? Like, does she want more violence in her life? Like, obviously the ending with Nick, Nick had a gun. You need to resort to violence there. And, and Hardy's just beating the shit out of this guy. And I get it. It's cathartic. It's great. This abuser is getting his ass beat by our hero. But also, it's like, that's just more violence. It's just violence upon violence upon violence, and it doesn't solve anything. It's cathartic in the moment, and it feels like Nick got his comeuppance. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's still animals beating on animals. Yeah. I mean, I do think there's something, too, that, like, you know, obviously all these men in her life are, like, want to beat the shit out of him for hurting her. But none of them act on it, you know? Like, Gage is, like, does the divorce and gets her out of there, but he doesn't, like, go and try to kill him. Also, though, Gage is a wimp. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think Gage would be able to do anything. I think Nick would have beat his ass. He's a wuss. (laughs) Uh, But Hardy the same way. Like, Hardy, when he hears about everything, he's obviously very upset and says that thing about the matchbox, but he doesn't pursue it. But I agree. Uh, I agree. No, I mean, it's a thing. It's a thing that you don't, that I think, you know, victims of abuse sometimes aren't willing to come forward about the abuse because they're afraid that other people in their lives will go after the person and then end up in jail and it will be their fault. And I think that there tends to be- so sickening. I know. And there tends to be these stories too of, I don't know, there are these vigilante stories of like these people or- this woman whose son was abused and then he went, she went and she murdered the person who was abusing him, which is like, I'm fine with that person being dead. Like, don't get me wrong, (laughs) but it's like, but now that woman is in jail for the rest of her life and she can't be around her son. And is that better? I don't think so. You know? And it's like, 
I, I get it. The, the violence with violence, I think it's like frustrating. It's very alpha male. It's very dick swinging, which is kind of a lot of what these books are about. And uh, yeah, and ultimately, I don't think it's helpful. I mean, but you're right. At the end, Nick basically tries to assault Haven again. He has a gun. It's very scary. Hardy walks in and they sort of neutralize the situation, but maybe it goes overboard with hitting him. But I was also fine. I was fine with that. I didn't think that Hardy was going to go to jail in that moment. I'm like, this is very clearly self-defense. I think we're in the clear. Oh, once there's a gun involved, you know, I think yeah. I think it becomes, I mean, especially, I mean, we're talking about Texas here. Mm-hmm. You know, so if they don't, if, they'll if kill Nick, anyone if, for any reason. If Nick walked in with a rubber band on his finger and he was going to shoot it at, at Haven, you could have shot him dead. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think, you know, I don't know why I had such, because the thing is, I'm not even a pacifist either. Like I'm coming off on this podcast, like some sort of weird socialist pacifist. <laughs> and I, I'm not at all. Like, I'm not saying that those are bad ways to think either. I just had such an adverse reaction to this. And it sucks because I do think it was really well written. I think that that, scene in the basement at the beginning is one of my favorite scenes in any romance that I've ever read. It was so good. Them in that wine cellar was perfect. Yeah. And I think what happened after that was it never reached those heights again. And I was really disappointed because when I read that, I thought this thing, this could be, this could be my favorite. Yeah. This could end up being my favorite ever, which is so hard to say because I've read so much Claypiss and, of course, Dreaming of You is an all-time great novel uh, despite uh, – of any genre, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so to have that beginning be so strong and then it just go to a direction I don't think I wanted it to, and that's on me because obviously – Lisa wrote the book she wanted to to write. People love this book. You enjoyed this book. We've got so many people who say Hardy's their favorite. And that's definitely their opinion. And it just, I couldn't get there. I couldn't get there. I think a big sticking point with you is always any amount of violence. You really shy away from any sort of like domestic abuse or anything like that, which is like fair. <laughs> That's normal. But I think it's interesting in these books being so primarily for women and the way that women live with a threat of violence kind of always. So then seeing violence play out and seeing the redemption and seeing people move past that and have fulfilling and happy lives, which like I think Haven ultimately does is the fantasy is the like okay the worst can happen and it can and everything can still be okay and i think for you as a guy not having to live in that world then when you see it you're not focused on the after you're focused on the during it's weird because that it seems like you know the part of the idea of this podcast is you know a guy reading reading something that is aimed at women Mm -hmm. and most of the time I think I'm able to wrap my head around most of the stuff 
and open myself up in a way that makes it so that I can think differently. And I think that, you know, this is just a chasm here. This is just a difference between a, a, a male's experience and a female's experience that makes it difficult for me. And I mm-hmm. just, I, I guess I don't know how to bridge that gap. I haven't been able to do it yet. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm being naive or I'm being just too hippy dippy about my romances and I don't want that stuff to step into my my little fantasy bubble that I've created but it is a part of women's lives and it's something that women writers want to tackle because it's so prevalent in society well and listen I don't think there's anything wrong with being of any gender not wanting to read about this. Like, I think if you don't, if you're a woman and you don't want to read about domestic violence and like, and like I put a trigger warning on when we announced the book on Instagram, but I think maybe we should put one on this uh, episode as well. It's perfectly fine to not want to read about this. I'm not saying that like as a woman, you shouldn't, if, if you do, if you do read this and you find it really hard to get past it in this book, like that's fine. That's okay. That's normal too. You know, and I think people want to process complex emotions in different ways. And some people want to comp- want to process them by being, by reading stories about them and learning more about them and, and sort of, uh, you know, get gathering all the information. And some people want to process it by just not encountering it, which is fine. And, and neither of those is a wrong way to go about something. Like those are both perfectly valid. So I think, you know, I don't want if if you're just listening to this episode and you don't want to read the book because of the content warnings, I don't I don't want it to come off as we're saying anything other than that's perfectly fine and normal, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, I think I think it's mostly to talk about it from from like that male perspective for mm-hmm. me. Me shying away from it. Part of me feels like, OK, Clayton, so you're you're perfectly okay and allowing yourself to indulge in all of the sunny parts of this experience, but you don't want to delve into any of the darkness. Mm -hmm. Feels to me like I'm being kind of cowardly in this process, you know? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Right? Like if I'm trying to, I mean, listen, the main thing about this podcast is we talk about romance because they're fun and we love reading romance. Yes. But is there an element of me just turning turning away and not facing these realities because I have the privilege not to? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's the thing. And obviously, this is not a podcast about psychoanalysis and like anything like that or doing pushing myself to do whatever. But I think there is maybe an element here since I've been have I read so many romances and I've been open to so many different types. But there's that certain part that just is I easily can just turn on my like, well, I don't want to read about this, so I'm done. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I can just ignore until obviously, yes, maybe somebody in my life has a situation and then it becomes, you know, but like you as a woman, like you said, there's always that element of danger in situations and not even just like domestic situations, but like violence in general, right? 
yeah, against like women. Like you and Pat, you know, we live near Prospect Park and you and Pat go for walks in the park at night. Yeah. That would never enter my mind as a possibility. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And it's, uh, yeah. And there's just things like that that are, uh, you know, to, to pay attention to. But I agree. Um, but I also, I, I hate to do this. I do have only 20 minutes left. So oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, we, and we got uh, really heavy. We got really yeah. heavy here. So let's let's talk about... <laughs> What a segue. Here's the big question. <laughs> would you fuck them? I mean, I would. I mean, I would, Hardy. I don't think so, Haven. You don't think so, Haven? I don't think so, yeah. I I, I, I I agree. I think it's a victim of being the first person where it's like, I just didn't find her sexy in a way that, like, I for certain found Hardy sexy. And... Me, of course, being at heart a hypocrite like we all are, I would fuck Hardy in a split second. <laughs> if he showed up at my door now, I'd be yeah. like, hey, I know you said you had 20 minutes. I got to go right now. Because <laughs> this motherfucker showed up in tight jeans and a fucking white shirt. Yeah. With sex- and- the sexiest blue eyes imaginable. Dark hair. Over, yeah. Looked like a man who knows how-, knows how to like work with his hands. You're saying no to that? Yeah, I don't think like, so. Uh, yeah, Aaron, the blue-eyed devil just showed up at my door. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> I'll be talking to you later. Um, all right, let's do Goodreads list. Yes, and pick the best ones, I guess. Best ever contemporary romance books. I would say yes to me. I, I could see that. Like people. if you had me do a top ten list of of contemporary romances, this might be on the list. Okay. Character you most want to sleep with. Well, yes. Yeah. Controlling, controlling sexy, possessive men. Yes. Every single man in this is at least <laughs> one of those. Uh, villain as romantic love interest. Uh, I mean, he's not the villain in this book. No, but he was the villain in the last book, I guess. He wasn't very villainous. I, I He's not. To my mind, he's not a villain. So mm-hmm. I would take it off the list. Intense and angsty romance. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, it's angsty. I've loved you for years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My favorite romance authors. I mean, duh. <laughs> Best traumatized heroines. What a list. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, listen, I mean, uh, she's definitely traumatized. Uh, not a fan of that list, but... Romance novels to reread again and again. I would reread this. Yeah, I'd reread that wine cellar scene. I might do that as soon as we get off mic. (laughs) Best reconciliation romance books. Fine. I don't know. Yeah. It it was fine. Um, Fresh Scent of Pining Hero. I mean. He pines for her. When he sets up that whole photo shoot with her brother. Just so they yeah. can get information on her. And I'm sorry. When she is joshing with him and she's like, oh, I bet you want to fuck over all the Travises. And he's like, no, I just want to fuck one little Travis. I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> That's an insane line. That's amazing. That's so good. Okay. Yeah. Best romance series following families. Eh, fine. 
There's a lot of those. It's hard to pick. Yes. Best tortured heroes in fiction. Mm, Yeah, I guess he's tortured. Wrong side of the tracks. At this point, he's, I mean, he he's from the wrong side of the tracks, but he's definitely on the, quote unquote, right side of the tracks. Yeah. Cry, tearjerker romances. Did you cry? I did. I didn't. <laughs> I cry. I would say I cry every romance book, though. Like, I am a crier. I cry, I cry conservatively once a day. Wow. My emotion's right here at the t- tippity top. I'm ready. Women victim of bad ex lead to happy ending. Certainly. Yes. Love in an elevator. Yes. Well, so she's not only submerged in sewage, oily gunk water. They do make out right afterwards in another elevator. Mm -hmm. But they're both equally gross. So it's like cancels it out. Yes. And they shower pretty quickly when they get back to the apartment, which was very necessary. Yeah. I see heroin forced to feel by alpha hero. I feel like calling her an icy heroine is really <laughs> kind of shitty. <laughs> I know. Severely traumatized. Yeah. It's not like she's just an asshole. Right. She's not a little bit closed off. Like, yeah, there's a reason. And then OMG, you almost died straight edition. Straight edition. Is hilarious because it's <laughs> I like mean, I, this person also has a version of this that is the gay edition, mm-hmm. which I'm sure. I mean, you could fill up both these lists. Yeah, but yeah, she did almost die. Um. All right, that's a selection of Goodreads list, guys. I'm sure you know. With this book, there's like a billion pages. All right, Clayton, what are your tropes? Mistaking someone else for their boyfriend. That's a great trope. I think that's I think that is like a trope that I'm I would want to look for. That's a great trope. I mean, God, annoying siblings, I would say with the Travises, bad dad for uh, Hardy and I would say for Haven. I think yeah. Churchill is a bad dad because also agree. here's the thing they revealed too in the last book. That Churchill wasn't even really madly in love with his wife. He was in love with Liberty's mom. Yeah. So and and also so like she has a bad she has a bad mom, too, because the mom was always trying to force Haven into being girly. But what are your tropes? So I have a redemption book because uh, I mean, Hardy wasn't really the he wasn't a he wasn't a Sebastian in the last book. But, you know. Good sex, because the sex was great in this book. Uh, Wrong side of the tracks. Hero walks in on the heroine getting hurt, which is, I love in a sick way. Uh, Bad relationships. They live in the same building, which is just fantastic. I have long said that my ideal living situation with my husband, who I've been with for 10 years, would be separate apartments on the same floor. Mm -hmm. Romeo and Juliet in that like her family is trying to keep them apart. Uh, the family hates the hero, bad dad, sick bed romance. Um, they each get sick and she takes care of him after he's shot. Uh, self-made millionaire, villainous hero, making out in the dark with a stranger. So now Lisa does recycle storylines sometimes. And obviously she puts little twists on them and she makes them her own. But mm-hmm. in the book where dreams begin, it starts with the hero who's a self-made man, Zachary Bronson, 
who I would say is up there with Craven as far as Clay Pass heroes go, is at a party and he makes out with a woman named Holland Taylor, which you have to get past the name, uh, mm-hmm. in the dark. And then they basically fall in love with each other in that moment and then sort of can't stay together because she, her husband has died and she is loyal to his memory. And then Zachary Bronson like brings her into the house to be a governess for his sister. And it's truly the most delicious book. So maybe we will do that to sort of examine this trope. I mean, I'm down. I'm down for as much Lisa as you can give me. (laughs) I know. That's the thing. We do need to do the Ravenels. I mean, maybe we'll just do Marrying Winterborn and then Where Dreams Begin. Because I think those are the two books that I'm like most interested in. Sure. Those are my tropes. And Clayton, what has uh, you swooning? So I stumbled upon this television show in a weird way. So I found a, I saw a trailer for a show coming on Netflix called Murderville that stars Will Arnett. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that he plays this detective and he has a celebrity guest come in and play his partner and they do a crime show. But the thing is, it's scripted for them, but the celebrity doesn't know what's going to happen. So they're kind of improving and stumbling their way through. And I thought, oh, this is an interesting idea. And then I saw that it was based on, of course, a UK show, a show that was a British show that was on BBC Three called Murder in Successville. And I was reading about it, and everybody was saying how funny it was. It's the lead character is this guy, Tom Davis, who plays a detective. He's this really large guy with a growly voice. And there's three seasons of this show. It's available on YouTube. If it's available any way else, I would watch it. But it's freaking hilarious. The difference (laughs) between this show and the new one is that it takes place in Successville. So... Everybody who is in this town is a celebrity impression, and they get these comedians to do these different celebrity impressions. So I think I think it's also because in Britain they're obsessed with celebrity. I mean, we're obsessed with celebrity over here, but I think they're even more ce- uh, obsessed with celebrity over in the UK. And that part was taken out of the American version, I believe. Mm-hmm. This show, I rarely by myself like laugh out loud and this show made me laugh out loud several times so it's called murder in successville and it was three seasons like in 2016 and 17 or 2015 but i don't know if it was super successful when it came out but it definitely has a cult following now i would Mm -hmm. recommend if try one it's just really funny to see these celebrities trying to do improv and some of them are really fun because they're like into it and some of them are resistant to it and uh it's just really really fun so i would recommend that nice yeah sounds good erin what has you swooning i'm swooning about a movie um by kenneth branagh who we don't like because he did cheat on emma thompson but we move forward it's called Belfast. It's starring Jamie Dornan and Katrina Balfe. And it's a really, first of all, a 90-minuter, which is the length every movie should be. Yes. 
And it's a really beautiful story about a family in Belfast at the beginning of the Troubles and them kind of deciding if they should stay or go. Um, And so it's based on Kenneth Branagh's family. Uh, They're a Protestant family, which I think you don't see a lot of stories about the Troubles from a a Protestant point of view, which is interesting. And... um, I just found it to be the most like beautiful film. And I think as, you know, my family made that decision earlier, my my family made that decision sort of following the revolution in the 1920s. So it was a different experience. But um, the idea of of home and what you do when your home has changed and you don't sort of recognize it anymore and uh, sort of a lot of it is told through the eyes of Buddy, who is like a young boy, who is like the stand-in for Kenneth Branagh. Uh, and I just found it to be a really, a really beautiful movie, like really heartwarming, really well done. And I don't know, it left me with this really strange feeling of kind of like melancholy, but in a good way. Like I just haven't been able to stop thinking about it since I saw it. And it's up. I think it's going to be up probably for a lot of Oscars and has buzz and stuff. And you would obviously know that more than I would. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I would say if you're looking for a great film to watch that isn't overly (laughs) like uh, heavy, it is kind of heavy. Obviously there is violence in it, but um, just like a beautiful film, I would say to watch Belfast. Well, Aaron, where can they find us? So don't forget to rate, review, follow us. Um, You guys are really great at that. We appreciate it. It's how people find us. We also have our Patreon, like we said. So just go to patreon.com, search Learning the Tropes. You can email us directly at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Learning Tropes, on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. And then we have our Facebook troop, the Learning the Tropes troop. You can come join us there as well. And then finally, we do have some merch linked below if you want to buy a a face mask or a sweatshirt or a towel or anything. Nice. And that's that. So we will see you next week. Yep. Happy reading. Happy reading.